Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I am Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and here with me in Cord Purgatory is Anthony Alegria. Anthony, would you go ahead and share our topics for today? Alright, so today in podcast number 45, we will be answering the question, What is the introvert's place in the Great Commission? We will then apply the answer to this question in a conversation about being creative in the Kingdom of God. I really enjoy it when people send us questions and comments, and one of the questions that was sent to us a while back was this question, what is the introvert's place in the Great Commission? I really want us to have a conversation about this, and I want to answer this sort of abruptly, and then I'm going to take in and spend some time expanding upon it. And in fact, I'm going to answer this question with a very rigid answer, and then breaking down the question, I hope you'll be able to understand how I got to this particular answer. So my answer to the question, what is the introvert's place in the kingdom of God, or let me restate that, the introvert's place in the Great Commission, is as follows. Our identity is found in Christ Jesus, and all who are ones who have received the the transformation of Christ, we must seize the day and answer the call of God. And just to say that again, our identity is found in Christ Jesus, and all who are called, all who have accepted the testimony of Christ, They must seize the day and answer the call of God. Now, I realize that that may sound a bit bold, and it may feel a little bit like I'm not answering the question directly. But it seems to me that this question comes from someone who is either viewing themselves as an introvert or someone who has been labeled as such after taking a personality test. But I really want to remind us that we are not defined by whatever identity circumstance we may find ourselves in, but if we are people in the kingdom of God, our identity is found through Christ Jesus. But just so that we are all on the same page using the definition of an introvert, Anthony, could you share with me the the definition of an introvert that we have looked at? An introvert prefers to spend time alone in order to recharge their inner being. An introvert may appear to be shy to others, but that is not necessarily an accurate label. Being among groups of friends, family, and even strangers can be wonderfully stimulating in a joyous occasion. Now, I can hardly believe this, but that definition actually came from Urban Dictionary. And I certainly don't endorse the content that is found on Urban Dictionary, but that was actually one of the most readable, most listened to statements that you can hear on describing an introvert. It's very well-rounded, and it's a very readable statement. Um, An introvert really is someone who has reservations about being the center of attention wherever they go. There are people who want to be the center of attention wherever they go. Introverts are not those people. Anthony, in explaining this question, where is the introvert's place in the Great Commission, will you also read the Great Commission for us out of Matthew 28? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, we live in a world where people are very obsessed with personal and group identity. They want to set up a a Tumblr blog with a a profile that says their age, race, gender, preferred pronouns, and all all sorts of identity-centered garbage. And yes, I did say garbage. And perhaps if I were to articulate that using a different accent and say identity garbage, you may feel more comfortable with it. But we live in a world where people are way obsessed with identity long past the parameters of what is appropriate. As we are Christians, as we are people who are called to be transformed by the testimony of Christ, we are people who are called to be born again, we must remember that if we have accepted Christ into our lives, our identity is found in Christ. 
In Christ, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, no professional person, nor someone with an internet-built self-identity, self-identifying ball of confusion. These things are all arbitrary. The thing which matters is whether or not you have been born again and accepted the testimony of Christ into your life. Now, I do want to make a clarification. If we are born again, this actually means we are born again. This means our identity is found in Christ. However, I do not want people to conflate this as saying that if people are born again, then there are no differences between people, that all people are 100% identical without differences between them, whether such differences be large or small. That is not the claim I'm making. That is an entirely different claim. The claim that I am making is that in the kingdom of God, the only identity that matters with transcendent weight is the identity found in Christ Christ Jesus. Sure, people have differences. I am not making the claim that people do not have differences. I am simply making the claim that the only matter in terms of our identity that has eternal and transcendent weight across the spectrums of time and space is our identity found in Christ Jesus. Now, as people in the church, oftentimes we are called to different things. And therefore, if you are called by God, it does not matter whether you are an introvert or an extrovert. I myself was not very good at speaking as a teenager and never thought I would become someone who is working in a ministerial capacity where there are functions with rhetorical responsibilities. I never foreseen that coming. Yet here I am, and I'll let you discern whether or not God has has graced me with the assistance to become a, a better speaker. God certainly will equip those who are called. Moreover, there's a very practical side to God equipping those who are called. The church is quite practically the body of Christ, and when people are called, those in the church should be working to give the skills and resources to those who are called so that they can develop into an individual capable of functioning in the manner that God has called them. So just taking a few steps back, another problem with this question of where is the introvert's place in the Great Commission is the question around the introverted side of it itself. Again, I think our society has gotten to this place where we're super obsessed with identity, We're obsessed with, am I an introvert? Am I extrovert? I want to be able to brand myself with the Myers-Briggs four letters there. They really want to be able to do this, but I really think it's a non-issue in practice. In fact, I don't put a lot of stock in these personality tests when they're given to people in a classroom, work, or even a group setting, though I will say that they have merit when these personality tests are being used to actually help better someone's personality on an individual basis. In other words, if you're trying to figure out why somebody has a personality problem, why someone did something which was inappropriate, or you're trying to improve your life to have a better character, I think personalities are, tests are great in that point. But when they're given in a classroom, group setting, or just sort of the, the macro setting, a lot of times i found that people don't have the discipline to use these in a meaningful way. And oftentimes they, they kind of take them to a place that these personality tests are not meant to go. They really don't make for good credentials for people to boast about saying, oh, I'm this sort of personality. And they really don't make for good content for you to put below your signature in emails. I don't know why this is a trend for people to put their personality type on emails, but that's really not an appropriate use of this. And one of the reasons I have a beef with these personality tests and this sort of dualistic thinking of, am I an introvert or an extrovert, is that they're not actually a very accurate description of who people are. And let me explain this. Take, for example, the simple terms of introvert or extrovert. They're somewhat of labels as people use them, but they're not actually meant to be labels. Like you may label two different fruits. You might label one an apple and one an orange. It's very clear which is an apple and which is an orange. But this is not actually how these work. They sort of exist on a spectrum. 
In other words, imagine with me just for a few moments a scale of numbers between 0 and 200. If you rated everything from 0 to 99 as an introvert and everything from 100 to 200 an extrovert, you could kind of understand how this works. But the problem comes is if you get two people, one who has a number 99, that would fall in the introvert category, and another person who has a number 101, you would find that these numbers are quite close, but they are labeled differently. The person with a 99 would be labeled an introvert, the person with a 101 would be labeled an extrovert. But in reality, they're only two numbers away from one another. And they're actually much closer alike. This person that's barely an introvert and somebody who's barely an extrovert, those people are very much similar in the way they would act, and they are more alike than two people who may be introverts, one with a score of 5 and the other with a score of 99. Those people would have a huge gap. They would have just over 90 points different in their gap, whereas somebody at a 99 to a 101 would be very different, but they would be rated differently. With personality tests, such as the Meyer-Briggs, you can have two people, one with an INTJ personality and another with a ESFP, who are actually more similar to one another than two people who both have an INTJ. That happens because these are scored things. Somebody can be just barely an introvert who's much more akin to someone who's just barely an extrovert than two people who are both labeled introverts, but one is just barely an introvert and one is extremely introverted. You might have somebody who's just barely an extrovert and they're going to be really different from somebody who's extremely extroverted. So just being labeled an introvert or an extrovert actually doesn't tell you that much about yourself because these are, are different. These are a spectrum. They're different than just a, a plurality of like an apple and an orange. They're much different than that. Anthony. Um, something that I would add to that a personal beat that I have with it is that, you know, most of the time it's based on um, judgment of yourself. So it's mm -hmm. you judging yourself. I think it's really, really likely that your, your scores are going to reflect however you feel about yourself. You know, if you feel like you are an introvert, then the scores of a test you take on whether or not you're an introvert are probably going to reflect that you're an introvert just because you feel like it, even if you're not, even yeah. if you're not introverted at all. Well, so. sure. There's there's issues with the, the actual taking of a test. Um, there are ways to, to go about testing things with a more accurate manner. I'm not saying that we can't produce reliable tests, but what I'm saying is a lot of times the, the results of the test are misapplied to, to, to mean something that they don't. And another example of them being misapplied, and to a little bit of Anthony's point, is when people are sort of, self-centered. They see themselves as the center of, of the world, whether it be in a positive way or a negative way. Not everyone who's self-centered is narcissistic. Sometimes you find people being self-centered in sort of a, a negative way where they don't necessarily think they're the grandest thing. It's, it's interesting how all this, this happens. But you find people who take these personality typings and they misapply them, and this happens widely in our culture, and they use them more or less as a justification for their own shortcomings and character. Such as with the, not the Myers-Briggs, but the, the Big Five personality test, somebody may put the word woo in their email. They say, well, I have a woo personality type. And they may say, this is my, my Big Five. I'm somebody who, who is really into charismatic things. I'm a, a woo person. And really what these people are oftentimes doing is saying, this is my personality. Deal with it. They're just rationalizing their own shortcomings of their behavior instead of actually using these personality tests in a way of, of making you a better person. This is why I think there's a proper time and place of these, and broadcasting your personality type as sort of a, a credential, I think, is a bit silly and a misuse of the, the material. 
Instead, we should learn from our personality and try to overcome the things which make us horrid people. A lot of times people with the woo personality can be rather horrid. Um, not always, but sometimes. And I qualify that by saying we, no matter what our personality type may be, we are creatures created in the image of God but corrupted by sin. We all possess tendencies which make us rather horrid and other tendencies which can make us more pleasant. We should constantly be working on our character. And understanding things like whether you're an introvert or extrovert, again, realize they're, they're not something which is a, a yes or no. You either are one or aren't. There's a scale there. It's a scorable thing. Remember that we learn these things so that we can improve who we are. And not only that, as we be more creative in what our roles are in the kingdom of God, not everything requires being an introvert. Not everything requires being an extrovert. If we have a healthy understanding of what the Great Commission calls us to, those things can quickly become a non-issue. And we'll get to that in a moment. But back to the main question. If you do see yourself as an introvert, remember this. Your true identity is found in Christ. Being a minister in the kingdom of God does not require you to be an extrovert. And more specifically, it does not require you becoming a social butterfly who seeks to, to attract all attention to themselves everywhere you go. Anthony, will you wrap up this segment by reading out of Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28? For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the second half of podcast number 45, and we are live in Cord Purgatory. And you may notice that the first half of the live stream got uploaded, and then there was a little bit of a, a technical difficulty. Of course, there is always some sort of peril in Cord Purgatory, but nonetheless, God is good. The first half of our conversation, we answered the question, where is the introvert's place in the Great Commission? Now we're going to move on to apply the answer to that question, not just to people who may feel as if they are introverted, but to us all with the question of where do we fit into the Great Commission and how can we work on being creative in the kingdom of God? So one of the facets of modern church life, which leaves me rather disturbed, is the fact that we are somewhat uncreative. And when I say that we are uncreative, I don't mean that we should go out and spend more time writing new songs and developing the most millennial-friendly service style. In fact, I think we're spending way too much time in songwriting, putting together the most millennial-friendly service style, figuring out if we need a glass pulpit or a more traditional-looking pulpit. Do we need no pulpit at all? I think these are a bit of a, a moog point. And in fact, I think the fact, I know that sounded weird, I, I think that there is evidence that we have spent too much time in these areas and the fact that the things we're producing aren't lasting a while. You find people who come in, um, there may even be someone like a, a district superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene who comes and says, you know, you've got you've to have a kiosk here, you need to, to have a glass pulpit. You have people who are hung up in things which I don't think are necessary to the, to the course of salvation. And on top of that, it shows that our understanding of what church life looks like is, is what I find to be uncreative. And even with things like music, the fact that we want to have so much music put out, it shows that these songs are not standing the testament of time. The fact that we love music so much that comes out that is new, and then we're bored with it within a few months, maybe a few years, and people say, oh, that song was written in 2002. How dare you use that? I know even when I was at university, people were bored with the music very quickly, which shows that these are not things of transcendent quality. Again, if someone walks into a church and says, oh, that's a very 1970s style pulpit you have there, it shows that there's something wrong with our architecture and our art if we get bored with it so quickly. So how can we be more creative in the church? 
And in fact, I think we need to be more creative in the church. And the way that I think we can learn about creativity in the church is by looking to history. And I want to ask this question. If you were to imagine a person engaged in worship, what would you think of? If you were to paint someone in such a way to demonstrate that they were a follower of Christ, how would you go about doing it? In our modern times, often these images would look something like someone standing, holding their hands in the air in a crowd, making some sort of passive facial expression. Or it may look like somebody coming to a table to read a book, which would probably be scripture, but may also be a devotional book or something of that nature. They may even be coming to write a journal, something reflective, of course. And we may brand some new ministries as something which has a noun, and if we take the articles and, and prepositions out of around it, then somehow that will make it become a thing. We may have something branded where it's just the noun. We might talk about small groups, which we never can use with articles in front of it. And I don't bring all of this up to beat up on people because I don't think that these are necessarily bad. But I think our, our mentality around modern church life is, is missing quite a bit. It's quite lacking. Again, I'm not trying to beat up on anyone, so please take all of this with a grain of salt. But I want us to look to church history and imagine a world where Christians were painted as much more than images of, of people holding their hands in the air with some sort of passive facial expression. I want us to imagine a world where we look more like the saints of old. We just answered the question, what is the introvert's place in the Great Commission? Well, the Great Commission doesn't call us to simply be people standing with hands in the air and passive facial expressions, but the Great Commission instead calls us to be creative, to manifest the gospel all over creation without prevaricating its purpose. Let's take just a few examples from church history. If we were to paint images of the saints from old, they might look quite different than what we would expect, and they certainly wouldn't expect them to be people just standing around with their hands in the air in some sort of passive facial expression in the midst of a crowd of a dark room, as often modern worship services look like. But instead, we would find something very specific and very creative. Recently here at Kingdom of the Logos, we've discussed a variety of figures from church history, and I'd like to discuss how creative these people are. One does not need to be an introvert or an extrovert to fulfill the Great Commission, and as I have explained before, I think the dualistic thinking of introversion and extroversion is rather shallow. Let's start with some people from church history, the first one being St. Angela Marici. If one paints a picture of this wonderful lady from church history, you would paint a picture of someone teaching children. Angela Marici did a lot of great ministerial work in her life, and she was unmistakably called by God to be a minister of the gospel. As a young lady, she became an orphan. She was convicted as a, as a child to go grow up and even found a religious institution. She was convicted to do something about the ignorant and hopeless children. And yes, I realize that that is rather abrasive language, but people like Angela Marici do not beat around the bush. They look at the world around them. She's seen that there were uneducated children who didn't have hope in the world. And what was her solution to this? Well, she went out and built schools to teach skill, children the skills for life and Christian virtue. And this was long before modern public school systems where education was available to everyone. In fact, this is about a thousand years before these things come into reality. Angela Marici, she realized that the Great Commission called her personally to go out and be entrepreneurial and creative. She went out and she's seen that there are people lacking the skills for life. She's seen that there are families in states of decay, and she creates a long-term plan. She's going to go out and teach Christian virtue and give education to those children who are hopeless. And in doing this, she transformed the world around her. Let's move on to St. Sebastian. 
He was a Christian in the ancient church. He answered the call of God in his life, and he became a Roman soldier that he could work undercover and give aid to those being persecuted by the government. Basically, St. Sebastian infiltrates the Roman army to do the work of the gospel. And eventually, it took two execution attempts to make him a martyr. If you look at pictures of St. Sebastian and image of him, you'll find someone who generally looks like a stud with arrows piercing all over his body. Being an extrovert would have actually probably made someone like St. Sebastian's life much worse because the whole nature of their ministry was not to draw attention to themselves. Again, their work is basically infiltrating an army so that you can help those being persecuted by the government. Very fascinating, very creative way of manifesting the gospel into reality. Both Marici and Sebastian manifested the gospel and took the Great Commission to a whole new level. But these people, they're not unique at all from church history. Let's move on now to St. Francis of Rome. But let's not confuse St. Francis of Rome with Francis of Assisi. Francis of Rome did a lot of great ministry in her life, more than we can cover right now. One of her ministries was to open a plague hospital in her home, and this was after she had already suffered great personal tragedy. With great tragedy in her life, she did not claim victimhood or cast the call of God aside and say that bad circumstance prevented her from it. She did not say, well, I've been married, so I can't become married to the church. I can't become a nun or anything like that. No, she goes out and starts orders, something similar to what Angela Marici did, even though we haven't gone in depth to Marici. But Francis of Rome, she goes and she creates a hospital in her own home. Now, mind you, she did not go and volunteer in a program someone else started. She doesn't go and just say, I'm going to start a, a volunteer program where people can come to my soup kitchen. Instead, she is so entrepreneurial that in the midst of the, the time long before modern medicine, she converts her own home into a plague hospital working to fight a contagion without modern medical knowledge or even understanding of how this maneuvers. But, you see, people like her, they take the call of God and the Great Commission to try to figure out how such contagions work and to fight them. A picture of Francis of Rome can look something like a lady operating a hospital. Moving on, let's now talk about Isidore of Seville. Isidore lived in the Visigothic kingdom, where the Visigothic people were in charge. Now, the Visigoths were heretics who didn't believe that Christ was divine. They understood that he was the Messiah, but being heretics, they always have a little bit of the truth mixed in with some bad things. Isidore of Seville lived in a time where there were multiple cultures around him. He was someone of Roman, Roman ethnicity, and the Romans and the Visigoths, well, they didn't exactly get along that well historically. There was a lot of tension between the two. The Visigoths and the Romans had somewhat different cultures. There were different laws for Romans and Visigoths. And as history tells us, having multiple cultures swells over time to cause chaos, death, and destruction. When you have things which do not get along with one another, one seeks to dominate the other. Isidore managed to assimilate these rival cultures by using good orthodox theology. Again, he doesn't sit around and say, well, it's great that we have different things. He realizes that this tends to chaos and destruction and death. He says, we're going to assimilate, but we're going to do it with leaving in such a way that leaves the bad things behind us. He doesn't simply try to appease the Visigoths, but instead he makes distinctions. He says, we're going to war with the vices, but we're going to have peace with individuals. And that's exactly what he did. He went to war with the vices that were corrupting the world around him. He made distinction between such vices and the individuals that were in his world. His ministry assimilated these cultures into a unified Christian community, and he didn't do it by force. He did it by good theological teaching. 
Moreover, Isidore's ministry was much more than just this assimilation. He was one who was very he was very involved in education. He does a lot of writing. He does a lot of producing of material. And in fact, if you find a painting of Isidore, it's going to look something like a man who is writing books or perhaps one who is working to convert Visigothic nobility to eradicate heresies. Very, very creative. Very much a one who implements their mind, understanding that it is a tool and that reason itself is a divine gift. Now, after we wrapped up Isidore, I want to remind people that if you want to learn any more about these four characters, you can search our content on YouTube to find out more about St. Angela Marici, St. Sebastian, St. Francis of Rome, or even Isidore of Seville. We've, we've done a bit to give an overview of these in the past and go more in depth about each's particular ministry. But we, as the body of Christ, we must rise to the mantle of the Great Commission. We must remember our history as the kingdom of God. We must dedicate our minds to the task of embarking on an auspicious future where we embody the gospel throughout all of our world. We must recognize that the Great Commission is not merely holding our hands in the air with passive faces, but it is going out into the world, being entrepreneurs, being ministers of the gospel throughout our world. I firmly believe that the gospel calls people to excel in every aspect of human civilization, so long as such aspect is not an antisocial. And it is our calling to fulfill such. Wherever we are in society, so long as it's not some sort of antisocial enterprise, such as bank robbing or some other, other antisocial operation, God calls us to excel in it. The gospel takes us to excel everywhere in the world, to take Christ-likeness throughout the nations, to take people the message of God, and that they may be transformed towards God's holiness. That is what I want us to remember when I challenge us to be creative. Remember that church is not just about coming into a building once a week, or maybe a few times a week, but it's about taking the gospel everywhere in the world and manifesting it. Maybe it's opening schools, maybe it's infiltrating an army that you can help the persecuted. Maybe it's becoming a doctor so that you can fight contagions. Maybe it's excelling just in your own home. Wherever we are, we are called to be a people of excellence, and when we take up the mantle of a great commission, that means we must pursue excellence everywhere we are. Well, I hope you enjoyed our program today. If you enjoyed our content, please share our content. You can simply hit the share button. It's the little arrow that's a little bit curved. That will help us out so much. And if you want to help us expand, you can donate monetarily through Patreon by going to patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. We graciously appreciate those who donate. And you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and you can take our free podcast with you wherever you go on SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever you find your various podcasts. Remember, exhume righteousness wherever you go. Don't let our world bury it.